Hey, what's up? Well, everybody, we're back. Let's hold front row there to myself, I guess. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, wonderful to see you all and to get to participate in a Tuesday night together. I'm so glad you chose to come and uh, be a part of this with me, with us. And so um, we're going to have some fun together and we're going to be studying uh, what, God words has, what God's word has to say to us because uh, it's our goal every week to, in whatever teaching, whoever's teaching, uh, to try to figure out, like, how, how does this apply to our lives, especially as college students? How can you take something away from God's word, which I think has <laughs> transformed my life, is the inspired word of God, is something that's going to play a crucial role in the rest of your life if you want to have a huge impact with your life, if you want to grow in wisdom and character and the things that God wants to produce in your life, then we're going to do it by going through his word. And one of the ways that we're doing that for the next several weeks is by going through a series on the book of James. And the name of the series is called James. That's all I got. That's all I had. Uh, I didn't mean for that, but that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's to the point. So <clears throat> we'll be going through that each chapter. E- each week, we're going to just take one little slice of a chapter. So I won't be able to get to, unfortunately, all of the, the riches, really, that are presented in the first chapter of James. And there's a lot of it. But there's one passage that I think is, was really important for us to, to highlight, to look at tonight. And so uh, I want to do that with you, okay? And so... Uh, Kicking things off, uh, we're going to be looking at James 1, 2, 3, 4. James 1, 2, 3, 4, you got it printed there for you there. And I got it right here. It says, this is right at the beginning of the book, by the way. It's like we got one verse of introduction and then James 2, James 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this passage, just three verses. There's a lot there though that I want to get into. And one of the things it says, it says, whenever you face trials, I don't know if you figured this out yet, but it's inescapable. We're all going to face trials. It's, it's an, an inevitable part of life, right? This is an, an acknowledgement of reality. We can't be delusional thinking, oh, well, you know, everything's just going to be fine. Even if you become a Christian, no, it's, it's hard sometimes. So that's the bad news. The bad news is that suffering is a part of life, you guys. The good news that I have for you is that when you're a follower of Jesus, your suffering isn't for nothing. The good news is that when you're a follower of Jesus, your suffering isn't for nothing. There's a plan in place for it. And I want to I get into all that. In uh, another book of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 17, three, verse 3, it says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. It's a very interesting kind of vague I don't know, compelling verse to me. And I've struggled in the past to figure out what's, what's it getting at. This is a metaphor, right? It's talking about these different tools that are used to produce or 
or kind of refine these precious metals. You take a crucible or a furnace and you, you melt some raw material to an extent that all of the impurities go away and what you're left with is some silver, some gold, something of worth, something valuable, something that's been tested and put through the fire of a, a literal fire of heat, right? And so the crucible and the furnace and the Lord have this in common. They remove impurities through testing. They remove impurities through testing. So you and I, we are people that God has made. You are beautifully and wonderfully made by the God of the universe. And he has designed and orchestrated every single part of your life. Even, yes, the hard stuff, but it's there. It's a part of his sovereign will because he loves you and because he wants to do something special with it. He wants to produce in you something precious. And so in James chapter one, verses two and four, through four, uh, there are two imperative verbs that, that I found in, as I was looking at it. Does anybody remember that from like English class? You know what I'm saying when I say an imperative verb? Here we got declarative sentences, right? Or interrogative ones. We got imperative sentences. I'll, I'll help you out, don't worry. This isn't like an actual class. An imperative is, it's telling you to do something. So, you know, verb, I'm telling you, I'm commanding you, do this. And so when the Bible, if you're reading the Bible and it says, do this, then that should get our attention. <laughs> and that got my attention when I was reading that as I was preparing for this. There are two imperative verbs in the passage. The first is, it says, Consider it joy. Do this. Consider it joy when you face trials. The second one is to let. Let perseverance finish its work. That's a command, an imperative. See, trials are inevitable, but they do not mean that God is mad at you. They don't mean that God is punishing you or against you in some way, quite the opposite. Trials indicate that God is testing you, which, which is placing you in the fires of adversity to refine you into gold. And so examining these imperatives that I've mentioned, uh, we'll kind of break this down a little bit more. And so cons- as we consider it joy, the passage is inc- encouraging us to fix our thoughts on the right things. And so the first thing we have to do is to adopt perspective. Got to adopt perspective. As we consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. You see, it's impossible to do this if you're only focused on the problem that is facing you or the pain that you're experiencing, right? If I have just an obstacle in front of me and it's hard and it's painful, if that's all that I have my attention on, I can't, I can't rejoice in that. There's no joy to be had in just this painful experiencing that I'm, that I'm just dealing with right now, right? And so while remaining grounded in reality, we need to look beyond the obstacle. We need to look beyond the obstacle in order to adopt a joyful attitude. This requires perspective. We need our perspective to, to be able to see beyond just the hard things, the hard, visible things in front of us. But there are unseen realities that we can realize 
that can actually cause us to, to take joy in what we experience, even if it's really hard, really difficult. So there's two things to focus on here. And one of them is to focus on character. We focus on character. Part of the goal in God's testing process is to develop within you character qualities that make us more like him. Ways of living, ways of, of acting and thinking and, and our ways of using our attitude in order to uh, glorify him in ways that are pleasing to him, in ways that are, uh, are excellent. And in Romans 5, 3 through 4, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so in this verse, we have kind of a, a progression, right? A progression of suffering, which produces endurance. If we endure, then we get character, and if we get character, then we get, then we get hope. And so an experience of this, as I understand, or if I, as I've kind of thought through my life of the character that God's at least tried to develop in my life. And over time, if I can just respond to the hard situation in, in the right way, in a way that's pleasing to God, then I can actually look back and see how he, he has developed character and, and qualities in my life that he wants to, to develop in each one of us. I went on a, on a mission trip to East Asia, uh, to China uh, a, few, a few years ago. We weren't allowed to call it China. <laughs> and so uh, I led this team and I'm, I'm from here. I'm from Chico, which means that I'm used to here. I'm used to knowing like where everything is and where I am. I'm used to being able to like read signs around me, right? <laughs> and, and all of that is also with or is combined with the fact that as a person, I just get so uncomfortable and so uneasy when I'm in any way disoriented by my surroundings. Does anybody ever feel like that? It's just like, when I'm, when I'm placed in a situation where I don't really know what's going on, I don't really understand what people are saying or what, where I'm at, just geographically or otherwise, um, it's stressful. And, and I crave uh, some sort of stability in order to be able to feel at, at peace or calm. And so over the course of that summer, I was, I was placed in a lot of situations where I didn't, I didn't really know what's going on. And I had to lead a team of people and look confident at least and so that they didn't freak out. And so I was in this position and I really learned over that summer that even in the midst of those uncomfortable and disorienting situations, that uncertainty that fills certain situations like that, that God's peace was able to fill me. God's peace was able to really instill in me a sense of trust in him. And so over the course of that summer, I, I couldn't tell you what was happening at the time, but through the difficulty of those, of those disorienting situations, God was cultivating in me a, a quality of character, of peace, and, and of his peace. In a, a book called Growing Kingdom Character, the author writes, our current difficulties are designed as God's training program to build into us the necessary qualities to enable us to face the more difficult challenges of the future. And so what that means is God is building character in you through the hard thing you're going through right now, 
And you're going to need that character later. So that's, that's why as we go through hard things as followers of Jesus, we want to, to, to get the most out of it, to, to sit back and go, what is God trying to teach me through this? So that you can be prepared down the line as things don't get any easier as you get older, guys, and as life gets more complex. Um, I've experienced that. I've seen that. And by going through and walking through the hard things now, seeking and focusing on the character that God wants to instill in you and grow in you and develop in you, then you can be more prepared for the future as God leads you through other things. But he is there and he is able to to guide you through them. So we focus on character. We also need to focus on glory. Focus on glory. Now this sounds like a cool, spiritual, mystical word that makes me sound really kind of, woo, you know. And so what I'm, uh, let me like help create some context. What I'm talking about in this is eternal glory. Eternal glory. The Bible actually points to this as one of the ways that we can celebrate, that we can rejoice even in the midst of the hard things that God allows in our life. You see, our temporary perspective, it, it keeps us from being able to rejoice. But in eternal perspective, that's able to see past the, I don't know, 80 <laughs> tops years I have left into eternity, into, into forever. That's, that gives me something to hope in. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this. I, I love this verse. It's, what, it's been one of my favorite verses for a long time. First uh, Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says, for this light momentary affliction. Let me pause. The person who wrote this was the Apostle Paul. He experienced deep, agonizing difficulties and trials and persecution and suffering, you guys. And so when someone like that writes that that we experience light and momentary affliction right here when we're on earth. Like, that's crazy. He, Paul's trials were anything but what we would consider light and momentary. But he goes on. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so Paul contrasts the two, the light and momentary affliction. He's just minimizing this as, as much as possible to help us realize that that, that is exactly what it is. When we compare it, it's incomparable, he says, to the eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. We get to experience an eternal weight of glory if we are in Jesus, if we are going to step out of this life and step into eternal life with God. So in 1 Peter 4, it says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
The suffering we experience in this life is designed to prepare us for eternity. And our perseverance in suffering will be rewarded, in fact, in eternity. We rejoice now because we will rejoice later. There is something to rejoice about in the hope that we have toward the future, toward eternal life that is to come. And so, going through the, the, the chapter so far, James says, to count it all joy when you meet trials, because, he goes on, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. So when you are tested and you respond to that in a way that God leads you in, God leads you to, then that produces something in you. It produces perseverance. And then what are we to do with that perseverance? The next thing that we should do is maintain perseverance. Maintain perseverance. Once we've gotten our minds straightened out and have our perspective in the right spot and on the right things that are, that are more, much, much more than temporary, we need to maintain the perseverance that God cultivates in our life. He says, let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. It's going to happen, but you just got to allow it to occur and not get in the way of that perseverance being worked out in your life. And so the first way that we can do this is to maintain perseverance is to trust God. We trust God. We don't know the whole script or the whole story, right? But God does. God does. He knows the whole story. He knows how it's going to end. He knows the whole, how the whole rest of your life is going to go. God knows in and he's good, and he can be trusted. In 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. Let me pause again. <laughs> Christ also suffered for you. He did this. Christ came for many reasons, one of which, the most important of which, is to suffer and die in our place so that we can experience eternal life because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. But he came and he suffered and he died in order to bear the punishment that, that you and I deserve. But he did that for us. He suffered for you in order to pay for your sins. And also, it says, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. What are these steps? What did he do? It says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So in Jesus' example, when he was beaten and crucified and hung on a cross to die, he did not retaliate, and he instead replaced the, the impulse to retaliate in trust, entrusting himself to God. He entrusted himself to God. See, on the whole, if we believe that we're suffering unjustly, right, if we don't deserve what we're experiencing and the difficult things that you're experiencing, maybe right now. See, it's not our job to take justice into our own hands, but rather to trust God, who is, by his very nature, 
just. God will right all wrongs in the end. God will right all wrongs in the end. And if you attempt to exact justice from a place of vengeance, then two things, two bad things happen. One, that means you fail to trust God, right? You fail to trust God, you doubt him. And second, you will end up going out of bounds because that's not up to us to take into our own hands in order to exact judgment or justice. And trust yourself to him who judges justly. There's a story in the first book of the Bible called Genesis, and it's the story of a man named Joseph. And Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Many of us have heard this story. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was, he was falsely accused of a crime, of a serious thing, serious accusation. He was thrown into prison and, and forgotten about. And so, but throughout that story, as we read it, it says, just time and again, like kind of woven throughout the story, it says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Which tells me, one, that, that Joseph was entrusting himself to God. Joseph was trying to obey God, even though things were hard. And Joseph, God was allowing still some, some glimpses of good things to happen, even in the midst of these horrible things, imprisonment, slavery. And so Joseph trusted and obeyed God, and God also was there for him. He was there with him, it says. He's with us in every trial. But anyway, years went by. Years of Joseph's life went by, right? And he was eventually actually appointed to a position of power by the the king of Egypt. He was in Egypt, a slave there, thrown into prison. Then he interprets the Pharaoh's dream and is elevated to the second in power so that he can rescue the people in the whole area from a famine. And that included his brothers, who in the first place sold him into slavery because of their jealousy, their malice toward him. And so he's actually given an opportunity to exert his power over them and to do whatever he wants because of the sheer authority that he has in the land of Egypt. But instead of retaliating against them, he says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. Genesis 50, 20 says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. He forgives them saying that you may have intended this, you wanted this, you had these horrible motives toward me, but God had a different plan. He had a different motivation entirely. And he was able to use the exact same situation that you had intended for evil for good, to save the lives of many people, to grow Joseph in his character. God takes our sinful, malicious intentions against each other and is powerful enough to use the results for good. God takes our sinful, malicious intentions against each other and is powerful enough to use the results for good. And that's, that's in ways that we can't predict when, we're in, when you're in slavery, when you're in prison, when you're in the, the depths of that situation. You can't predict what God's going to do through it. John Piper writes, the suffering of sickness and the suffering of persecution, both of these have this in common. They are both intended by Satan for the destruction of our faith. 
and governed by God for the purifying of our faith. See, the enemy has some power. He has intentions and strategies, wants to destroy you. And he uses these trials. He'll put these horrible things in your life in order to tempt you to to doubt, to complain, to sin against God, to forsake God. But God can even use those things against the enemy in order to bring about blessing, to bring about character, purification, and faith. So we need to trust God with the outcome. We must trust God. And ultimately, he, yes, he is in there with us, in the pit. And so, he can be trusted. Next, be patient. Be patient. Once again, we don't know the whole story. And we also don't know how long the story is. Or how difficult, how long it's going to be for how long how difficult it is. Through patience, however, we can endure the trial, even though it lasts longer than we think or hope or want. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. There's, there's three uh, imperatives for you right there. Suffering always lasts longer than we want, and we have to hang in there. We have to not accuse God. We can't bail out or disobey him by doing what seems easiest because that trial is stretching on so much longer than I, than I predicted or hoped. Sometimes our main job to do in the midst of a crisis is to hang on, to trust God, but you gotta hang on, you gotta be patient. Be patient and wait for the Lord's timing, which is different from our own. There's another verse, it's not in your handout. Isaiah 40, 31 says, that they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. And so if, if you would be somebody who fears the Lord, who trusts him, and is willing to wait for him, even though you're tired, even though you are beaten and bruised and hurting. It says that he has the capacity. He has the power. He has the love for you to set you on the wings of eagles so that you can endure, so that you can persist, so that you can persevere, so that you can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. He gives his people that power. in a different book called The Attitudes of Success by Randy Lanthrop, talking about five different attitudes that we can embrace in order to, well, experience success and to really see how these different attitudes are are seen in God's word and uh, how we can apply them. It says, there are two main aspects of patience in the Bible. First, patience is taking a long, deep breath and refusing to explode in anger at one's circumstances or the people around him. A patient person is slow to avenge wrong and doesn't react quickly to being provoked or experiencing misfortune. Let me pause. A way I think about this is like, man, for myself, sometimes if I'm just in the, in the heat of just stress and difficulty, I'll, I'm tempted 
And I'm going to complain to God. I've done this. Asking you, why me? Right? Why is this happening to me right now? I don't think I deserve this. What's going on? And that uncertainty really puts a strain on us. And we're, we're tempted to react in a way to, to react quickly to the experiencing that misfortune even, you know, just something bad happens. Somebody cuts you off. Something happens just like in the world, you know, and just puts you in a different spot. And you're like, ah. But no, patience overlooks that. Second, he says, patience carries the idea of endurance. Literally, it means to bear up under difficult circumstances and continue to work toward the goal. We gotta continue to work toward the goal. So what is the goal, I guess? What is the goal? We see that actually in the last part of the, of the passage, James 1, 2 through 4. It says, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Our goal is to reach perfection. Perfection. See, there's a concept in the Bible known as sanctification. And so whatever, theologically or whatever you got, when you commit your life to Christ, it says that you're justified before God and all of your sins are wiped away. And so once justification occurs, then you're your process of sanctification begins. And over the course of our life, we are to become more like God in our character, in our actions, in our attitudes. That's what sanctification is. And so we don't achieve this perfection in life, but we do pursue it. And the Apostle Paul illustrates it like this in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. says, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature. He says, I'm not there yet, okay? But I make every effort to hold to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. What's the one thing? Forgetting what is behind and in reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul's goal was to be like Jesus, embracing the suffering of Jesus and working toward the perfection of Jesus, the ways of Jesus. And that's what I want for all of us. I want all of us, I want all of you to come to the end of your life with all of its ups and downs and to look back and have no regrets, to say with Paul, as he wrote in 2 Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He was able to confidently say that. See, our sufferings can tempt us to give up the fight, to stop running the race, to abandon the faith. But if we fix our perspective on the right things and persevere over the long haul, we will be purified by God's testing and we will receive the prize. Let me pray for us now. Father, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for 
rescuing us from our own sin and our own brokenness and our own despair, God. You have saved us into everlasting life that starts now, that we can experience and embrace, and we acknowledge at the same time that it's hard, God. But you are here for us. You strengthen us to withstand the pressure and the heartache and the suffering, Lord. And I ask that you would help us to apply James 1, 2 through 4 to our lives, that we would fix our eyes on you, that our perspective would be not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, and that we would persevere through the hardships of this life so that we can receive the crown of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.